Hello and welcome to the Stories of Innovation, a podcast by World Vision International Nepal, and I'm your host Utsav Karel. In today's episode, we'll be discussing quite an interesting topic of putting Somalia in the global startup map. For this one, we have got guest as Nishant Das, who is the Response Innovation Lead at Somalia Response Innovation Lab, and Katrin Kalado from Startup Blink. Welcome to the Stories of Innovation, Nishant and Katrin. Great, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, today, like uh, we are talking about so many exciting things, especially, you know, like uh, how frontier economy like uh, Somalia has been put uh, back into the map of the startup world, right? So there are so many amazing innovators, amazing innovations that is taking place in in a country which has uh, witnessed 30 years long uh, conflict. And there are so many uh, exciting things that are brewing up in the uh, in the uh, in the area. So, uh, Nishan, tell us more around uh, Somalia Response Innovation Lab itself. How it came into existence, and uh, like, what are you guys doing right now? Because we have been hearing quite a lot around, uh, you know, so many exciting things that is going on. And people are always uh, saying like, hey, you should talk to Nishant because these guys are doing all these cool things around, you know, like helping people with uh, different kind of technologies as well as innovative processes. So Nishant, tell us the story of uh, Somalia Response Innovation Lab. Sure. Thanks. It's uh, Yeah. So the Response Innovation Lab at a global level is a, is a collaboration, um, an innovation collaboration between a few different uh, big players. So you've got World Vision, Save the Children, Oxfam, Civic. Originally, one of the original found mem- founding members was an academic partner also. Um, but yeah, so it's a global collaboration, but at, at the different country levels, it's legally hosted by one of those members. And so in different places, and I think you've talked to a few of my other colleagues, it's hosted by one of those NGOs. In Somalia in particular, we are hosted under World Vision um, legally, but we strategically fit within a consortium that World Vision um, is one of the lead agencies for. But that doesn't mean we only work with World Vision or only work with those consortium members. You know, Very simply, our approach, I would say, is we're more of an innovation broker versus an incubator ourselves. And so the lab in Somalia came across, uh, started in 2018, 2019. Uh, we had a grant, mm-hmm. a research grant uh, from the U.S. government through a department that was then known as OFTA. And that was really looking at trying to take the RILS model and looking at the whole model um, and trying to implement the whole model. And so the RIL has a few pillars, but the ethos is generally around um, being an innovation broker. So we have something what we call convening which is the idea that we need to bring people together. So it's very hard to be innovative if you're working by yourself. And for us, very much focused on the humanitarian space, it's looking at, of course, let's bring together humanitarian actors, whether that's international or local NGOs. Let's bring together UN agencies and clusters. Let's look at uh, government, which is a key component. Um, Let's look at the private sector also. So let's bring them all together at the starting point. And that allows us to do things like research and mapping. Um, It also allows us to build consensus and understanding around really difficult topics that might have different perspectives, especially, you know, from an international local perspective or from a, um, you know, from a NGO perspective versus private sector space. Um, So we wanted to make sure that we bring everyone together to to have a shared understanding, because if you don't have that, then whatever you work on is not necessarily really sustainable. So that's our convening pillar. The next is our matchmaker pillar, which is how we, we identify and define challenges, but then work to find existing solutions. So again, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to help 
be kind of a cross-learning platform and try and promote especially local solutions if they are there. And so that's how do we, you know, and we want to make sure that there's a process to really understand the challenge, right? There are things that may be well beyond our scope, like insecurity, um, but there are things that could be quite specific. And we want to make sure that, you know, especially as people get so focused on their work, they may not know what's happening around them. So that's kind of where our role is to bring those together. And then last is what we call support. And so that's where the real has the opportunity to support uh, pilot projects, gather evidence around that to broker partnerships to make sure it's sustainable in the long run. So that's kind of our approach and model. And throughout that, we're doing research and generating evidence and sharing that. So in 2018, we had a, a project that was together with George Washington University and the Somali Disaster Resilience Institute, which is now called Sadar Institute. And in that, we had a, a big component to really, you know, what we wanted to do to get started was really understand what was happening in the Somali ecosystem. And so we began with a lot of research. So there was a component of desk-based research. The UN has what they call their 3W map, you know, who, what, where type of thing. And so we, we took that map, we expanded upon that, and we brought in the innovation actors there, so the private sector, startups, and beyond. And we brought these two maps together, and we really expanded upon that, um, you know, did a lot of kind of field-based research also to really understand what was going on there. And it was the first time that we had kind of this type of mapping had been done in the Somali context. And through that process, um, you know, we shared that, we developed a bunch of tools. We wanted to make sure that there were tools available kind of in the public domain. You know, so it wouldn't necessarily require myself or my team to sit down and have a coffee with, so, you know, with everyone every time and say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. We wanted to empower people and say, here is a tool that you can navigate yourself. Um, it can help you as a startup find partners or funding opportunities as an NGO to find local partners or things in the private sector space or how do you navigate, you know, key government departments. And so we created a bunch of tools. The first was what we called a directory. So very mm -hmm. simple to use, kind of anyone can use it, kind of, you know, fitted for your phone. It's still out there and we keep refreshing and updating it. The second was kind of taking that same data, but looking at kind of the relationships there. So much more in depth, much better for an academic purpose. You know, most often, right. you know, your, your lay person doesn't necessarily want to necessarily go through like a more detailed um, Kumu program to look at all of the linkages, but very insightful to know, you know, who is connected to what products and services, where is their funding coming from? And then, yeah, and then we produced a report. And so that report came out at the end of 2019. And as we shared it back to a lot of our key stakeholders in the Somali context, what we realized was for the first time, we had data around what was going on. And people found that quite insightful. But a lot of times people intuitively who worked in Somalia or who were part of the larger Somali diaspora, they kind of intuitively knew, oh, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here. You know, oftentimes the, the narrative in Somalia is quite negative. You know, if you were to just think of Somalia, it's, it's conflict, it's famine. And there is truth to that. There is a lot of challenges. No one is trying to deny that there is challenges here. But it's only one side of the narrative, right? And what we wanted to show, despite the challenges, there's also significant things that are happening that are really um, exciting. And so how do we have a more holistic understanding of that? And so... What we realized is our data and our mapping tools were were showcasing kind of and you know were were there for you know preaching to the choir per se right people already knew this but they were happy they had now evidence here 
And so that's where we actually came across Startup Blink. And what we were quite excited about Startup Blink is they had a global platform. And they were um, looking at kind of startup ecosystems specifically um, around the world. And we had a subset of startup data. And so we found it quite exciting to see, can we actually get the information that we have on a global platform and help to provide a more holistic understanding of the narrative in the Somali context? And so that's kind of how we started. So that's how the lab started in the Somali context. It started really with a mapping exercise, creating these tools, trying to support the wider ecosystem, not just in the Somali context, but also trying to help in bring in outside attention, whether that would be for potential investment and funding, whether it would be for potential partnerships. Um, so that's kind of how we started. And then, of course, we've grown and we've been supporting a bunch of pilots, interesting partnerships, but I can talk about that a bit later. Perfect. Uh, thanks, Nishant. And since you just mentioned about uh, how Startup Blink came into the picture, uh, Catherine, uh, tell us more around uh, the story behind the Startup Blink itself, because Nishant just uh, shared the story around Somalia Response Innovation Lab. And we are more keen to hear about uh, what is Startup Blink, what it does, and you know, like some of the experience from Somalia itself would be really interesting. Yeah, great. Uh, so sort of links so we're a global map and research center and we usually work with you know government agencies or um, NGOs like Response Innovation Lab and helping them develop their startup ecosystem. So developing the startup ecosystem, it's different per per scenario and per per location. Some location would need promotion, some location would need more diagnosis and consulting help. Um and some locations would need more help and just um, building the capacity of their ecosystem developers. So we cater to each of them. We also do mapping like, like Nishan just mentioned. Um, so all of that together, it depends on the need of the ecosystem. Uh, we come, we come in and we help, um, through like our global platforms and through our global view, um, uh, startup blank, just a brief like history. So we really started in 2017. Um, that's when the mm -hmm. idea came about and the, the company came about, but it wasn't still um, focused on ecosystem. So we were really focused on startups, uh, but we realized that there was, you know, a lack in the space wherein people were focusing more on. So how, how do we help those startups instead of, you know, just pushing them forward? We, so the startups also need help where they are. Um, and I think that's what's, what was missing in that period. Um, so our CEO started the com uh, started shifting into redeveloping ecosystems, um, and then in 2019 we actually released our first report. So every year we release a report about ranking 100 countries and 1,000 cities globally. So through that report, um, it's more of a free resource for ecosystem developers and also entrepreneurs themselves to know where to relocate and what's the the new up and coming hubs. Um, it's always, patient is always important because it will help you get to know people, get to know the network, um, and it will help you innovate more when there's already activity happening. Um, and it also depends on what, what, um, what part of your innovation story you are in. So maybe you're just starting. So maybe um, an ecosystem, developing ecosystem like Somalia would be good for you. Maybe you want to grow, then you would need to go to a bigger hub. Um, like San Francisco or somewhere in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something that we were looking at. Uh, and specifically in Somalia, I think 
um, there we, we like Nisha mentioned a while ago about how when people think about Somalia, it's always, you know, negative or something that's, they don't really think about innovation first. And I think what we achieved with our partnership and making sure that Somalia is always, um, you know, put into the spotlight in our rankings is that people are actually positively surprised when, happily surprised when they, when they find out that there's so much innovation in Somalia and they're always in the rankings since 2020. Because, you know, um, for us, promotion and perception is everything. Um, in a lot of ecosystems, they start with just a perception. Maybe it's not the reality first, but perception follows reality. So when people think about you more, they know more about your innovation, the more they're interested to actually move. And, and also your local ecosystem um, developers and local startups, um, they're more interested to stay. So when there's the good startups are staying and better start like other good startups are joining the ecosystem then that's when we're um sort of putting the perception of um a good ecosystem into reality and that's what we're helping with a lot of ecosystem um you know developing ecosystems to do put them in a global scale and put them uh promoting that globally as well Great. Uh, Catherine, like since you mentioned that uh, since 2017, uh, you guys have been uh, starting to map and rank, you know, like ecosystems and countries as well. So how is it like to, you know, like rank 100 countries? It must be really, really massive task, right? Like you need to have like a lot of indicators and so many things. So tell us like uh, uh, a typical country, like what does it needs to have to be in, you know, like the top quantile, quantile of ranking? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a big task, you know, ranking that many locations. Um, and mm -hmm. we, we don't want to go down like we, we're actually planning. Maybe we can rank more because, you know, in a lot of rankings, they're only ranking maybe 50 countries and like 200 cities. But mm -hmm. there's really a lot of seed ecosystem that also need to be um, taken care of and need to be racked and uh, watched. Um, yeah, so we have like in just um, a bit of our methodology. So we have around um, 45 components during the last report. So each report, we mm -hmm. also improve what we what we do. Now we learn from the previous reports about what we can add and we, we try to add more um, until we, we get to, you know, the, the final algorithm hopefully won't change anymore. Um, but those 45 components are put into three main baskets, you know, quantity, quality, and business score. Um, upper, um, when you look at it from like how many, like how, what should an ecosystem have for it to be ranked? It's really in like, first of all, you, you need to have startups. <laughs> of course, it's a startup ecosystem, so you need to have startups. And for us, um, you know, in our platform, we have our own definition of startup, like each platform has theirs. Um, so for example, it has to have like an innovative part of it. Uh, we can review the innovation based on location as well. But um, for example, um, some startups in Somalia um, at the beginning would not have been considered um, innovative. But once we got to know more about the ecosystem and other, also other developing ecosystems, and we found out how hard it is actually to build even you know, simple, like what we would think are simpler startups, then we considered them because just having that innovation in a setting that's really hard to build, um, like hard to build startups um, was already innovative. Um, and aside from that, aside from innovative aspect, we, we also look into 
the technology that was to be used and also um, if there is a website. So since they were a global platform and we have global visitors, it's really important, like the websites, it's important because people also check. So when they go, for example, to a location, they actually go through the startup list and they usually check the website. So if it's there's no website, then they, they can cross-check. So it's important for to keep, you know, the the rankings validity and the validity of the map to have um like the map um and to have the website as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, th thank you, Catherine. I've got so many questions for you, but uh, I'll come back to you in a bit. Uh, back to Nishant now. Uh, Nishant, uh, since uh, you, you were talking about uh, one of the pillar of Somalia Response Innovation Lab as uh, uh, as a convener, right? And there is where a lot of collaboration with different actors are required. Uh, tell us, how does, uh, like, what is the experience uh, around collaborating with different actors? Because we all have got a different perception around innovation, right? Like right. Uh, different actors has got a different definition, different priorities, different resources. So right. uh, tell us your experience about uh, collaborating with different actors. Yeah. I think one of the things that we've been keen on doing is to not duplicate um, kind of systems mm -hmm. as much as possible. Uh, you know, we very much focus on humanitarian settings. You know, there's a lot of innovation, as Katrin kind of alluded to. Innovation can be very different in a San Francisco versus Mogadishu. And so for us, mm -hmm. you know, our focus as the Response Innovation Lab is really looking at kind of these frontier economies, fragile contexts, you know, high-risk um, humanitarian settings. And so for us, we wanted to make sure that, you know, with a lot going on, you know, in, in humanitarian settings, there's, um, as some of our listeners might be familiar, there's the cluster system. And so for us, the, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to have another innovation cluster. It's, it's a cross-cutting right. issue. And so we don't want to make sure, we, we want to make sure that we work with existing structures. So for us, you know, things in the Somali context that we've worked with, we've worked specifically with clusters, that so we've worked with the WASH cluster to bring together their members, but then also bring together private sector, for example, academic institutions, government, to make sure that if we're looking at things within the WASH space, that everyone has an understanding, not just the NGOs and donors. And so that's one example of people that we've worked with that just provided great insights and allowed us to build consensus at a larger level. Uh, we worked with the food security cluster, and these were two clusters in particular that we targeted when we first entered into this context because we knew those were priority areas. There was a lot going on there. Um, but then we've also worked with other initiatives too. So we've worked with iRise, which is a Mogadishu-based innovation hub that organizes the Mogadishu Tech Summit. And we saw that as a great mm -hmm. opportunity as a locally led in, um, kind of event that was looking at promoting the innovation ecosystem, looking at startups, but then also as a neat kind of bridge with the humanitarian and donor community. And so we saw that that was kind of a great you know, platform to be able to support um, them in that work. Um, there is other initiatives too, like the Somali STEM Society that's looking at STEM education, you know, and the importance of younger generation of having a strong gender lens there too. Um, and, you know, and building STEM capacity is something that is, you know, in the longer term, which will have a, you know, significant impact on the ecosystem. So those are kind of examples or, or you know, Simad University, which is one of our partners, they have an innovation hub. And they host something called the Global Goals Jam, which is a global event using kind of human-centered design, design thinking approaches um, through the UN 
um, and to address kind of challenges around the sustainable development goals. And so that lab was looking at how do we bring this global event to the Somali context? And so we were had the privilege of working together with them to kind of bring that event into the Somali context. They led and we supported them in some of that stuff and seeing now we're going into the third time, third year into this event um, and and seeing now kind of having a local kind of uh, facilitation and sprint master abilities to, to facilitate that process. Um, and so we can kind of take a step back now, but look at, you know, within a local context, how do you, you know, look at challenges, but using kind of proven, you know, trusted methodologies to try and really build consensus, dig deep and understand the challenges from a local lens. So it's not just an outside kind of perspective coming in, being kind of parachuted in. So that's kind of, yeah, a, a lot of what we've done. Again, I think part of what we found is key is to kind of curate these events. You know, we don't um, want to have just NGOs coming together and navel gazing and then having kind of a shorter term perspective. So for us, whenever we do events, either on our own or if we work with someone else, for us, it's the key is you need to have the right people in the room um, because I think that only gives you kind of builds consensus, gives you a much deeper understanding. So that's really a key component. You know, oftentimes we can be focused on the output, but for us, what we've learned is the process is just as important. And so how do you build that empathy and understanding in the process so that, you know, People don't just complain about, you know, oh, you know, international actors or they don't just complain about government or complain about donors or local actors, right? They really understand and they have the chance to understand why are these actors responding in a certain way in a certain context, you know, because these are their limitations or these are their priorities. And we found that facilitating and building that understanding is so key to having a much more healthier ecosystem and healthier partnerships, um, especially if you want to look at having something that's successful take root and scale. You know, a lot of times I think a lot of the things that we've seen that have had the opportunity to scale, the technology itself, if it's a tech-based solution, isn't complex. The, the complex part is building the right partnerships. I think that's a really key thing, right? The technology can be innovative, but really it's not necessarily super disruptive. Um, in terms of the tech itself, but what is disruptive and what can have the impact is building those right partnerships so that 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 idea or that innovation has the opportunity to actually take hold, to scale, to learn, to iterate, to improve and have that positive impact. So again, that's why it's key. The convening component is so key uh, in that to have that. Um, you know, going back to the the startup side of things, I think what's unique about the Somali context is there's quite a few of these innovation hubs that are local, that provide co-working spaces, that provide kind of mentorship facilitation opportunities. I think that's what makes mm -hmm. the Somali ecosystem quite unique is that there are quite a few in numerous cities from Mogadishu to Hargeisa to Garoway and beyond that have these, these spaces that allow for that kind of collaboration and kind of shared learning kind of builds that camaraderie. Um, and for us, our key is with those local initiatives that are happening, how do we now bring in um, an international perspective to help support that uh, instead of an international thunk, uh, you know, lab coming in and, mm -hmm. and duplicating that? How do we support these right. local initiatives? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, since uh, we we're talking about collaboration and one of the uh, major thing what uh, most of the international agencies are also inclining towards is public-private partnership, right? right? And uh, 
Uh, can you share us some example of such kind of partnership and that led to the sustainability of the innovation process? Sure, yeah. So there's um, one of the initiatives that we supported, one of the first that we came across when we started was, you know, I mentioned our matchmaker platform. And so mm -hmm. um, World Vision, um, which is a, one of the large NGOs in Somalia, came to us with a challenge in 2018 around how do you understand the dynamics of school dropouts? You know, why are mm -hmm. children dropping out of school? How do we get better insights on this to improve our programs to, to better serve these communities, to better serve these schools? And so they submitted, you know, we worked with them. They formally submitted a challenge in our matchmaker platform. And that was actually our very first matchmaker submission. So we began the process to try and research um, what are some potential solutions that exist already. Now, unfortunately, at the time in the Somali context, there was no system other than paper-based systems for uh, attendance tracking. Um, you know, for better data, you could look at a food security tracking system, a beneficiary tracking system, and heavily update it. So it didn't really, wasn't really the greatest fit. So we, we looked and we found a few different solutions um, in the region and globally. You know, one was in the U.S., so, you know, had a lot of maturity and a lot of scale, but a very, very different context. Um, we found another one that was being piloted in East Africa, but very early stages, but had some really key, interesting components around making sure you, you track the attendance of the teachers, because there's a lot of challenges when teachers don't show up. Um, and so right. then, you know, of course, then the students don't learn, right? So, so it had some really interesting components, but very small scale, not very mature. And then we found this system that was actually developed by the University of Nairobi's C4D lab which is kind of their innovation kind of space, uh, and UNICEF in Kenya. And what was really neat about this system is that they had spent the time to build the system over time from the ground up. They had done a lot of work to consult teachers, uh, and they'd even piloted this system in Somali-speaking regions of Kenya. And so it showed a lot of promise. And so we identified these few solutions. We went back to World Vision and said, here are some different solutions, right? What do you think? You know, we have... We have a methodology where we can show, you know, what is fit for context and different things. But in discussion with World Vision, what they realized was, one is the unicef back system seemed to show the best promise for the Somali context. One is the system was open source. Um, and two, there's a strong connection, you know, back and forth between Kenya and Somalia, uh, especially with UN agencies. UN leads the, the education cluster. Um, and, and the system had been piloted in Somali-speaking regions already, so it showed a lot of promise. So what we did then was we then went to UNICEF, and they then said, this is great if you want to bring it into the Somali context. We'll get the regional approval. It's open source, but, you know, you kind of you have our, our blessing in that sense. Mm -hmm. And then what we did was we worked specifically with that Kenyan startup, and we brought them out to the Puntland state um, in Somalia, and they did an assessment. They talked to teachers, they talked to education officers at various NGOs, they talked to the local government. They really wanted to understand. We didn't want to assume that this system would work because it was coming from a different context. Right. And all of those discussions were really insightful, and there were things that provided feedback, and we said, okay, if we are going to bring this, we need to update these components, right? The school year is on a different calendar, the way attendance mm -hmm. is done is slightly different, right? It's not necessarily alphabetical because of the context. They do boys first, then girls, you know? So there were things that we learned right. through this assessment that we had to update, which wouldn't have been there if we didn't get the insights from the local education uh, ministry and teachers and so forth. 
we worked very quickly to do a very kind of low budget kind of um, update of the system. And then we partnered with World Vision to pilot the system at three schools. So we wanted to do a very small scale pilot, you know, um, low risk, but to see can this system work in the right context. That was in 2019. Uh, and we ran a pilot for about six months. And at the end, we did an evaluation. So the Response Innovation Lab, we have our own kind of M&E tools that are designed specifically for for um, uh, in introducing new innovations. And so we did this evaluation. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall, it, it showed that the, the pilot was a success. And there were things that were learned there. And we were then looking to scale it further. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, so everything kind of went on pause um, as, as everyone's priorities shifted and schools were, were shut down for a period of time. But what was interesting during that time, we also saw that the system, because it was a digital system, we learned that teachers were able to stay connected with some of their students and follow up on them. And so that was a really neat, unexpected outcome to show this right. other dynamic that came from that. And then as, you know, later in 2020, as kind of the pandemic, there was a new normal and schools were trying to reopen. Uh, another NGO, uh, Paul Save the Children, came across our system and they were working with the ministry to build a dashboard to analyze and understand the data at a macro level, but they were still using paper-based um, inputs. And so we then, you know, began the process of discussions to say, okay, there are two different systems here. Can is there a value add to bring these components together? And so then that, then we helped facilitate a process to, to form a partnership between Save the Children, which was leading an education consortium with SIDRA and CARE and World Vision to now look at integrating these two systems. So not only did you have this dashboard for the government, but you also had a, a real-time kind of input for the data. That was a long process in terms of the negotiation to build those partnerships, but it was important and then we had we made the two systems interoperable and so that was co-funded by both parties the government was involved mm -hmm. also in terms of looking at indicators so again this is a long process again from the tech perspective to integrate two systems is not complex um what was right. complex was making sure that the different ngos and governments were all on board and were willing to do this together and that was a process to get approvals and mous and all of that stuff but you know we did it slowly, but we did it well. That then resulted in the a pilot, and we scaled again from the original three schools to 42 schools now across the Puntland region, which is quite exciting. And, um, you know, I mentioned the Mogadishu Tech Summit. We, we back in December mm -hmm. we, we, uh, of 2022 we, or 2021, we actually brought together these different actors from the government, from World Vision, from Save the Children, from the tech startup, CC Tech, to talk about the importance of, of working together between the private sector, government, civil society, how do you all work together over time to have a more holistic solution? And so that was quite neat and interesting. Um, and now, right now, the Somali context, there hasn't been rain in a while, and we're looking at the situation is quite bad. It's moving into a famine situation. Um, UNICEF, which was the original backer of the system, is now looking at how do you introduce this system as part of their drought relief programs, right? As they're looking at having interventions that can, you know, keep children in school so that they're not disrupted, you need to track how successful your programs are. So UNICEF is now looking at bringing on this system and scaling it up even further to more schools to, to have an impact. So again, you know, going back to 2018, <laughs> uh, where the mm -hmm. original challenge was submitted, 
um, to now 2022, four years later, you know, that time. But, you know, what we've learned is, again, the transparency when one agency does something, um, we do an evaluation, we share it in the public domain. We want people to learn from it, what was successful, even what was not successful. And that has helped with building those partnerships to, to get it to where it is now. I think that's brilliant. You know, like uh, you talked about how, you know, like we develop a relationship between different agencies, how we remain open as well as we make our system interoperable is something right. that really helps in terms of, you know, like getting it uh in a long run and also, you know, like using it in multiple purpose as well. Uh, now, uh, like Catherine, uh, I've got a question for you and that is more related to how startup ecosystems are evolving right now, especially in frontier economies like uh, Somalia or Nepal or Iraq. Yeah, so um, I think in the past few years, we've been seeing, uh, you know, our rise of startups and the startup ecosystems in general in you know Africa and Asia as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like um actually in the past few rankings we've been seeing, you know, rat the rankings of general rankings in Europe and even in North America going down just because, you know, this developing ecosystems have been growing a lot. Um and it's in part because of, you know, globalization. So people now understand more of digitalization. Um and, you know, Actually, like a good part that we observed during the pandemic was that since people were forced to go back, like indoors being locked out, they had mm -hmm. to look for a lot of ways to be innovative and to, you know, create their own business and innovate. Um, and even, you know, as Nishant was saying, like even schools had to be innovative. So this actually brought in a new breed of innovation. Like people were now not afraid as much when digitalization. A lot of mm -hmm. you know frontier ecosystems are already afraid of you know doing fintech or doing business online because you don't see the person that you're working with. But since we were forced into that situation during COVID, there was a we saw a lot of rise in that, and people like a lot of ecosystems as well in frontier ecosystems who were more you know um, dependent on a specific just one industry. They had to be diverse, so they had to inno innovate a lot during that time. So um, actually, they. In startup play, we really observe that there's a lot of innovation that's happening during crisis time because people have to think on their feet. They have to be quick, and there's not a lot of bureaucracy during this time because you need to be fast in order to get over the crisis. Right. So, innovation uh, normally comes up during the time of crisis, right? And I still remember, you know, like before the pandemic, uh, we used to. Uh, you, you know, like uh, do few uh, virtual calls, right? Like uh, the WebEx thing. And there was like, I, I don't remember, like I heard about Zoom before uh, before the pandemic and all of a sudden everyone are in Zoom. And even we are doing this podcast uh, on Zoom as well, right? And uh, five years ago, if somebody had asked me about, you know, like, can you do podcast over Zoom? Then I would be like, no, we need to meet in person and we have to do things, right? But now things have changed. And I think uh, like uh, when we are reflecting uh, some of the, uh, you know, like uptake of technology, then the pandemic has played a really, really important role in terms of uh, fintech ad uh, adoption or online shopping, as well as, you know, like using different kind of mobile application as well. So 
this is promising, especially to us who are working in the space of innovation to see how uh, technology has been evolving and people are accepting and appreciating the whole use of technology, which is, uh, I think, great. But at the same time, you know, like uh, there's also a digital divide, right? Uh, because uh, especially uh, in country like Nepal or in frontier economies, you know, like uh, already the poverty is there. Now we are seeing digital divide as well. So have you come across any, you know, like cool innovation that has been uh, trying to address this kind of uh, digital divide and try to help people, uh, especially uh, in the frontier economies? Yeah, maybe I can I can start. <laughs> um, so yes, I please. Think, um, even in a lot of frontier eco- um, ecosystems and economies, we 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 do see that there's still you know a bit of digitalization. So I think not focusing as much on the innovation, but really focusing on getting people more interested in digitalization is important. So like coming up with apps or going on like social media because I me obser- I've observed has per- personally that in a lot of frontier ecosystems like social media is abundant you know even if mm-hmm. they there's a lot of poverty they they there's still a lot of social media and like like the social media part is still there so trying to combine innovation into what's what they already have and uh, the systems that they already have like having it like on their phones or on like like basic social media platforms that we have and not ha- having too many barriers um, is important to get get people who might not have the capacity to, to be um, in the digital space yet to be introduced at least and then work our way from there. Um, and that also comes for the innovators. Uh, we need to include innovators who might not have the capacity yet to, to build innovation in a grand, like, you know, in a pro- disruptive, as Nisha a while ago mentioned, mm-hmm. like a disruptive innovation. But, you know, acknowledge even the small wins that they have because for them, like for us, it might be small win, but for them, it's really a big step towards, um, you know, innovation and innovating. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Catherine. So, uh, Nishant, uh, since you have been working in the uh, space of innovation for quite a while and you have been doing uh, quite a lot uh, in this area to, uh, you know, like not just bring innovation in a country like Somalia, but also to sustain these innovation through multiple partnership. Like if you have to pick one promising innovation and one promising innovator out of like so many you have been working with, who would that be? And uh, why do you think uh, that particular innovation is promising out of all? I'm sorry to put you in a very difficult uh, spot right now, but out of curiosity, because, you know, like uh, there, there are certain elements, right? Like that really makes certain innovation more promising. And also that can be learning for other contexts as well. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a tough spot there. There's There's so much happening. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I would encourage anyone listening to check out the startup blink, um, ranking cause there's so much there and I won't have time to profile all of them. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm sure in the show notes, we can put some links there that people can check out later. But one that I've had the privilege of working with over the last few years is a startup called Ogo Health. 
Um, Ogo mm-hmm. Health is a startup that's looking at digitizing health records. And again, I'm going to be very biased and look at a humanitarian you know, perspective, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. happening even beyond that. But, uh, you know, one that I'm quite excited about is from the humanitarian perspective. So Ogo Health, the founder, Khalid Hashi, um, is, he, he noticed from a personal experience when, you know, his, his, he was visiting his grandmother and she got ill and then had to go to the, the hospital and just seeing that process and how inefficient it was, especially with regards to records, got him on this process to develop a system. And what was neat was not only was the system he developed kind of crowdfunded and developed his own kind of initial system, then went and applied for the Global Open IDEO Challenge, was successful and got some kind of seed funding and mentorship from IDEO and seed funding from the Gates Foundation, kind of really took a human-centered approach to really rebuild a system. And that's where it began to pivot to look at how do you provide, and it, it took a focus on looking at the challenge around vaccinations, especially for children under five, and you're looking at mm-hmm. a, a context where one is, uh, you know, you have a, a population that is nomadic, but then also you have a population that due to different kind of uh, shocks could be displaced. Okay. And so they're moving around. And so, especially with children under five, you need to complete vaccination cycles. And how do you track that when people are moving uh, across areas and they're going to different clinics? but they may not remember that they have to go to a clinic and, you know, you don't have a national ID system, so it's difficult with all of these different types of records. So they developed this system that links different clinics together. Um, and then it also, you know, we talked about the digital divide. It also sends SMS updates as reminders to mm-hmm. families in remote areas to come back for follow-up appointments. Um, and so that has been quite successful. Very quickly, what they realized also was that, you know, no matter where you are in the world, unfortunately, there's a lot of misunderstanding or lack of knowledge when it comes to medical procedures and vaccinations. And so they started to develop a public health library as part of the system to educate people. Why is it important to get these different services? So that was quite promising. And then we had the the promise. So that system is, is again, the challenge again came through our matchmaker system where um, an NGO identified a challenge around this. And this is what, be, and when we looked for the solution again, we found global solutions that were out there, nothing that the time that had been in the Somali context. But then through mm-hmm. our mapping, uh, ecosystem mapping, we had come across Ogo. And being a local solution and from other experience, we've seen it's much easier to push forward a locally driven solution in terms of understanding context and, and scalability uh, in the long term and sustainability. So, again, this is why it's so important to why ecosystem mapping exercise is so important because it helps to understand what is happening right at a local level and there are things that are happening at a local level um, so yeah so ogo health um is is one that's keen and, and we had the privilege of working together with them during the covid response um right before everything shut down in in uh, march of 2020 um mm-hmm. you know i reached out to khalid in in february to said i think you should consider I think COVID's going to be a big deal, right? COVID, you know, January or mm-hmm. January, February, twenty twenty, right? There was still not a whole lot known, really, in terms of what would actually ensue, and right. so we then looked at seeing how do we add to this library around COVID messaging in Somali language, and so he began. He funded it himself, and the week that we had the first COVID case in in March twenty twenty, he had his first video there, the only Somali language content out there, 
you know, and, and he tapped into some of his networks at, you know, we use, um, WHO guidelines, but then he tapped into some of his international networks through Johns Hopkins university, you know, with the public health advisor. And so we, you know, this then started a whole process. So this is the first Somali language, um, uh, public health awareness tools that were in the region that then evolved with them to develop more content and very quickly. You know, I helped to facilitate a process and say, like, you know, every NGO doesn't need to have their own hand-washing videos, right? Why don't we work together? Right. Again, this is the importance of working as an ecosystem collaboratively. Limited resources, you know, especially a lot of uncertainty, borders shut down, right, in this pandemic. So we then very quickly started to bring together UN agencies, governments, uh, NGOs, private sector to identify locally driven priorities then worked with, you know, WHO guidance at the time and then worked through other connections we had, again, at Johns Hopkins to the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, brought in experts, you know, within World Vision that host us at their global level, their health experts, to now holistically come up with something that we knew was, was you know, medically accurate, but then locally appropriate. Uh, again, that interdependency mm-hmm. and collaboration. And, you know, Ovo was one of our key partners in that. And you know, very quickly move from basic hand washing videos to stuff like how do you do um, Sharia, you know, how do you do Islamic burials in a time of during a pandemic right. um, and very complex stuff. And so, yeah, so mm-hmm. very excited with this startup. Um, and there are many others too. Uh, but yeah, let me stop at that for now. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thanks, Nishant. So <clears throat> I have a question for both of you. So this is around like, what do you think is or what do you think are the enablers of innovation like if you have to name one two three then you know like what are the enablers of innovation for you based on your experience Katrin you want to go first (laughs) yeah sure like out of the top of my head like I think the first one would definitely be the need so like if you need something you have to look for a way to achieve that need. So a lot of innovation comes from, um, you know, problem solving, how to solve maybe a simple or complex problem. And that really, you know, tries that that evolves the innovation into like a thought and then into a product. So I think the need is definitely like an enabler. Um, second, like as there's a lot about location. I think the location is also, you know, enables you into like, trying to innovate because if you're in a location when there where there's not much happening you might not be inspired or you might not meet the right people to help you think about ways think out of the box um so location is everything so um i think for example in somalia there's a lot of you know spaces where people can meet and talk and innovate together so that's really important because community is is really important in innovation you need people to talk to, like people to get ideas from and collaborate. Um, and I think the third one is spe- like help from either government or international organizations. So in a lot of, like, especially in developing ecosystems or frontier ecosystems, um, we, we need that help in order to you know, enable people to, to want to innovate because a lot of the frontier ecosystems, their main need is to like survive or to to get money so a lot of them just shift the words you know traditional 
traditional jobs like working in a big company or brick and mortar jobs. So if they don't have a choice, then they won't want to think out of the box and innovate. Yeah. So those are just three things for me. Okay, so it's a uh, need, location, and support from government and international agencies. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. And Nishant? I think, Catherine, you, you've hit that on the head, and I can see those very clearly in the Somali context, too. You know, before I took up the role, one of the things that was told to me coming into the Somali context was there's so much innovation happening because of necessity, right? You've had, as, as Utsav opened up with, you know, 30 years where, you know, the civil war and the the federal government collapsed. And out of that, then people have to do things for themselves, right? So there was a lot of startups and stuff out of necessity, right? Necessity breeds innovation. We saw that during the pandemic also. And so that's definitely one of the things that has been key is is in, yeah, it's it's kind of this this um, double-edged sword, right? There is a lot of need and it's it's a sad thing. The needs are there. But it, has, it empowers people and it forces people to then try and find those solutions. So definitely is something that I can have seen quite quite actively in the Somali context. The other, like you said, spaces, you know, Somalia has been quite fortunate to have a lot of these kind of innovation spaces and co-creation spaces. That's been key. Um, and then, yeah, I think another one that I've seen, too, is kind of this, along with the communities, this interdependency. I think oftentimes to support innovation at the early stage, right? Funding is definitely important. Everyone, who's going to say no to money? Everyone needs resources. But yeah, it's not necessarily financial resources that are there, right? I think it's it's these other resources that are so important. So that can be found at a local level. And then that's one of the things is the Response Innovation Lab we try to, to, to support with is, is bringing in other resources to whether it is international connections, or connections with the humanitarian space. If people have ideas, how do you roll out those ideas? We have a lot of tools that are all um, freely available in the public domain to help with making those connections, to help gather evidence and so forth around that. So I think definitely resources, financial and beyond, are definitely another thing that helps if, if you have those in, the, in, in that space. And that's really unique, and I think in frontier economies, is how do you bring that bridge that divide between, let's say, investments in private sector and civil society and donors, right? Can it grant de-risk a loan, right? Whereas now, um, you know, a, a traditional financier or bank or an investor who may have never considered this is now more incentivized to enter in. And we begin to see some of that stuff in the Somali context that's beginning to show promise. And it's bringing now, building the relationship with things, um, you know, startups and others that would have never had that because they were too high risk from a traditional sense. So I think bringing in those resources and connections is vital, especially in a frontier economy, which you don't want to be only dependent on a grant, right? How do you build that longer term sustainability? Okay, so since we are almost there in terms of timing, right? So I've got this uh, final curiosity to put forward rather than a question. So how do you see the the future of uh, the Somali uh, ecosystem, uh, let's say five years down the line? I know there are like a lot of groundworks being laid and then, you know, like uh, so many fantastic things that has been done in the last four or five years. But uh, next five years, you know, like considering so many emerging technologies, new kind of partnership, 
as well as new challenges as well, you know, like you briefly mentioned about uh, the, you know, like uh, famine as well as uh, different kind of other uh, natural uh, calamities, as well as, you know, like global warming and so many things happening right now. So how do you see the, the future of Somali ecosystem five years down the line? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's an exciting time, I think, when it comes to the innovation space. I think technology is a huge enabler. And I think, especially with a lot of our work together with Startup Link, it's helped to put a spotlight about the opportunities there. And so we're already mm -hmm. beginning to see, whether it's in the larger diaspora community, a lot of diaspora have come back to the Somali context out of seeing a need to, you know, uh, bring back some of their skills and resources to support things at a local level. So that's quite exciting. So I, we, I, I'm optimistic to see that trend continue to bring back some of those global resources there beyond just remittances to actually come back and yeah. work together in partnership. Um, and I think also now with, with some of the information that we've now put in the public domain to bring in others who are not necessarily Somali diaspora or people who had a strong connection before, who are now interested in coming into the Somali context to do work because they see opportunities there, not just necessarily needs, you know, that is a big driver, but also seeing opportunities. We're seeing, you know, as one of the things that we've been able to showcase and highlight here are businesses and startups that are doing work and are making money, right? So people, as another incentive, there is an opportunity mm -hmm. to come and do things here. There's not just, you know, and here are challenges, but here are also examples through our mapping that you can see people overcoming those challenges and making a livelihood, making a profit. So I think that's one that I'm excited to see in the next few years is seeing more of this kind of interdependency and partnership and more of a resource flow. There's a lot, as Katrin had mentioned, that, you know, there's a lot of innovation that is happening in the Somali context. And that's not necessarily super disruptive if you were to put it in a context like, let's say, San Francisco. But because they can make it in such a challenging environment, that is quite innovative. And I think there's a lot to, that can be learned from Somalia for other countries, too. I think with our COVID response, how Somalia very quickly started to respond to create locally driven content and awareness material. That was something in the early days that uh, we were asked to help bring out a global platform so other countries could learn how did Somalia and actors in, in the Somali context pivot and work so quickly. I think there's a lot to learn there, too. So yes, I think, yeah, bringing a lot of those partnerships and resources and people in, I think is something, and technology being an enabler, um, so people can come in physically, but also do things remotely is one key thing that I continue to be optimistic to see in the next five years. Great, Nishant. So Katrin, what do you think uh, next five years down the line? Yeah, uh, same as Nishant, we're very optimistic about, you know, the development mm -hmm. of the Somali startup ecosystem. We, we see a lot of good things happening, um, especially since they have a lot of support from, you know, local enablers and also um, international enablers like Response Innovation Lab. So like working together with the local ecosystem is important um, for them to grow and um, we, we see a lot of innovation coming out of Somalia and we hope that even with the challenges, like what you mentioned a while ago, necessity does breed innovation. So I think that there will be a lot of innovation, hopefully that will come in from, you know, energy and environment sector, like trying to fight against um, like what's happening with global warming. Uh, we're actually already seeing that like, if you go to the Somalia portal right now, you will see that the second highest 
um, industry there is the energy environment. So people are already innovating in that space. And I think we will see more of innovation in that space in the next few years. Perfect. Thank Great. you. And I'm sure like these innovation, which will really help to, you know, like uh, solve some of the pressing issues of the community of the people and uh, also to make uh, the community better place for the future. So thanks so much, guys, for your time. Really appreciate, uh, you know, like hearing about all the amazing experience and insights. And I'm also really hopeful about, uh, you know, like all the amazing things that is coming uh, that is going to happen in the near near future as well. And uh, congratulations for all the great works you guys have been doing. And uh, thank you again. Thank you for having us. It's a great, and, great to talk to you and talk about the Somalia ecosystem as well. Yeah, great. Thanks, Utsab thank uh, and team. Yeah, very excited that we have this space to profile it. I hope it was insightful for other ecosystems that are emerging too. Uh, and yeah, thank you, Startup Blink and Katrin in particular for joining us and helping to share some of those global insights. Thanks. Thanks, Nishan. Thanks, Katrin.